Let's bow again together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you again for the opportunity we have to to be together, to praise you and to exalt you. And Lord, I pray as we look into your word, you would prepare our hearts, that we would receive it as you desire, and that we would respond in a manner by faith that is pleasing to you. So we just commit this uh, time to you and this uh, commit to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever been ripped off? Have you ever been defrauded? Uh, you know, you look at uh, the internet scams these days. There's all kinds of rip-off artists out there trying to rip off people with uh, false uh, computer stuff. Your computer's broken, call Microsoft, whatever it is, and they rip you off. Or you buy something that you think is one thing and you find out later it isn't what you thought, that the seller was dishonest and you got ripped off. A lot of these things, there are people out there that will actually warn you about them, but we didn't hear the warning or uh, we ignored the warning. And the reality is, uh, when we experience those things, there are those out there who will say, hey, don't do that, don't do that, you're going to get ripped off. Don't deal with that person, don't deal with that company, you're going to get ripped off. Well, in the spiritual sphere, there are those who would also rip us off too we're going to see that there are those who would defraud you of your prize, would rip you off, spiritually speaking, and they're deliberately doing it. And yet God is a gracious God who warns us. He doesn't want our faith to be uh, shipwrecked. We're cruising along, trusting the Lord, and we hit the, we hit the reef because we didn't look at the charts and we hit it. We didn't listen to what we should have listened to. And God is gracious to warn us because he loves us. As he loves us. And so we're going to see today uh, how to keep from shipwrecking our faith in Jesus. Would you turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2? Colossians chapter 2. And it's in Colossians chapter 2 that we have um, been studying. We've been studying the book of Colossians. And within this, the Apostle Paul, he is under house arrest in Rome. He has never personally visited them. He doesn't know them personally, but he knows them through through people and through letters. And he has received the word from Epaphras. He's received the word that uh, these Colossians have trusted in Jesus Christ. And there's a manifest from that is the love for the saints, and he's praising God for that. But he's also uh, received the word that there were threats to their faith. There were those attempting to delude them, chapter 2, verse 4, with persuasive arguments. There were those uh, desiring to carry them off as booty, like a, being kidnapped, chapter 2, verse 8. There were those who were coming along and sharing things that, that would maybe they would think would help them in their walk with Jesus, but actually they wouldn't. They would defraud them, as we'll see today. You see, when you come to faith in Jesus, you want to follow the Lord, and you grieve over when you fail, and we do fail. But we know if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. And we we step forward again, wanting to follow him. But within that, there are those who would come along with means or ways to subtly divert you away from trusting in Christ, but still thinking you're spiritual. And from that, you're going to be, as we will see today, defrauded. So the Apostle Paul is writing back these Colossians concerning these threats. And what is his answer to it? Chapter 1, a focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the creator. He is the Lord of the first creation through him and by him all things are created. He is the Lord of the new creation. He's the head of the church. It's through him shedding his blood for us that we have forgiveness of sins. 
uh, that we might be presented holy and blameless. It's through Jesus Christ that uh, we have salvation. We have salvation. And then the Apostle Paul in the latter portion of chapter 1 begins to explain what genuine ministry by his own example looks like versus the false ministry which he's going to address in chapter 2, which we're looking at. We saw in chapter 1 that genuine ministry has God's men uh, proclaiming God's word. Uh, they're not hirelings. They're not those who've decided to do it on their own. They've been called and gifted by God. Think about the Apostle Paul. He wasn't on his way to seminary to be a pastor. He was on his way to persecute Christians when God called him. He called him out of that, and he saved him. And he said, this is what you're going to do, Paul. And when he saves us, he gives us different giftings, and in his word tells us, this is what you're going to do. We don't choose that. God, by his spirit, chooses how we serve him. So God's ministers are just that, God's ministers. And we also saw in genuine ministry, and this is wonderful for us because we just started this church, it's a baby church. We need to have these foundations as we grow. Secondly, we saw that God's ministry proclaims Christ. The message is Christ. The message is Jesus Christ through his word. He says, and we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man that we may present every man complete in Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He said, I, I do this that I might fully proclaim the word of God. And we, so it's Christ proclaimed through the word, and then it's Christ proclaimed his way. He says, admonishing every man and teaching every man that we represent every man, that's men and women, complete in Christ. God's word going forth to God's people to make them more like Jesus. That's how God raises, that's how he grows us up. We're going to see that. And then he goes into chapter 2 sharing his concern, how he strives and struggles for them and his concern about that. And as I've mentioned before, there were those attempting to delude them, chapter 2, verse 4, with persuasive arguments. But Paul says, hey, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I say this, that no one would delude you with persuasive arguments or deceive you. There are those who have very persuasive religious arguments that can deceive true believers into being pulled away so subtly from Christ, so subtly where you're starting to rely on other things than Jesus himself. It's very subtle. And so he says, you know, see to it that no one takes you captive. You see, as we have received Christ Jesus, we're to walk in him. When we received him, we didn't receive him, as we'll see today, through an experience. We received him by faith, which was obviously an experience in that context, but we received him by faith. And we're to walk the same way. We're to walk by faith. We don't walk by sight or experience. We walk by faith. And so the apostle Paul is warning them, and we came to the first portion uh, where he began to share that because of uh, who Christ is, God in human flesh, and what he has done for us, in him we are complete. And we have a complete salvation in Christ. Our sins have been nailed to the cross, obliterated. Praise the Lord. Because of that, therefore, we shouldn't allow people to religiously, as we saw it last week, to religiously judge us. In that, they put peer pressure on us to follow a system. And we saw last week that system was the Old Testament ripped out of its context trying to be placed on New Testament believers to follow these do's and don'ts there, which were just shadows pointing to the reality, the substance is Christ. And so we saw, therefore, don't let that happen. In light of being Jesus being God and you being in him complete, don't let it happen. 
And then we move. That was the first thing that could shipwreck your faith, that those legalistic things that you do, do, do. From the Word, someone twists it. Hey, you, you want to be godly? Look at this. It's from the Word of God. you got to do it. They twist it. Rather, take the shadows and make them primary. I gave the example of how dishonoring it would be if I was walking along with my wife, Hillary, and I had a picture of her, and I was ignoring her, and I was just looking at the picture talking to her. That, that's the shadow. That's not the truth. The real person is here. When you focus on the shadow, you dishonor and you, you separate yourself from the reality. And so then, that was the first thing that could shipwreck our faith. And then today, we're going to get into the second thing that can shipwreck our faith. Turn with us to uh, Colossians chapter 2. And I want to back up and I'm going to read basically what I've kind of been summarizing here and walk into our passage, okay? Chapter 2, verse 3, he says, In whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? That's Christ. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I'm absent in body, nevertheless I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your, notice this, faith in Christ. He says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, established in your faith. We received him by faith, we walk by faith, and that's how we're built up. He says, just as you were instructed through the word of God, he says, sir, an overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. These are the warnings that we shouldn't be taken captive. You know, you, person says, warning, don't deal with that guy. He'll, he'll sell you a bad car. He'll rip you off. We want to listen to the warnings, right? God is saying, hey, see to it that no one takes you captive. And so he says here, captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. He says here, he says, uh, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus Christ is God. And in him you've been complete. You have everything you need in Jesus and he is the head over all rule and authority. He's over all the demons. He's, he's, he's way above all your enemies and all spiritual enemies in that context. And in him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. We talked about that. Not the removal of the body of, in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That was an inward circumcision where God took away the hard heart and we're able to relate to him now. He dealt with our sin on the cross. You say, and so here, he says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Hey, we were united to Christ. We saw that. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our transgressions. Praise the Lord. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, They've been obliterated. That's what that word means. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And then we saw the first thing that would shipwreck our faith last week. Therefore, therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink, respect to festival, new moon, or Sabbath day, things which were a mere shadow of what was to, what was to come, was to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And now our passage. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement 
and in the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause in his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which is from God. So, things that can shipwreck your faith. This is the second of three things. The second of three things. And as I mentioned, it all hinges on this word here that we see back in verse 16, therefore, therefore, in light of the fact that Jesus is God, in light of the fact that in him you are complete, in light of the fact that in him you have a complete salvation, your sins nailed to the cross, it's all through Christ, in light of the fact that as we have received him, we are to so walk in him, in light of the fact that we're not to let anyone take us captive, in light of the fact that we are not to be deluded by persuasive arguments, therefore don't let this happen to you. Don't let this happen to you. And so we see in this context that we're not to be uh, taken captive. In the context, first, as we saw last week, through the shadows. I'm not going to reshare. I've shared a little bit about it already. But there are evil men and imposters who come and they take pieces of the Old Testament out of their context and they try to say, this is what you need to do to be right with the Lord Jesus. And they do it in a way where they're judgmental, spiritually judgmental. You're, you should be doing this. And they judge you because you're not as spiritual as they are or doing the things that they're doing. And he says, in light of Christ being everything and having complete salvation, don't let anyone judge you. Don't let them put that pressure on you to, to do those things. They were just a shadow. They're the shadows. They're not the reality. Don't let them do that. Don't let them do that. The substance belongs to Christ. And we looked at all those things, how each one of those Old Testament things pointed to the realities of what Christ has done for us. He is our salvation rest. He's our Sabbath rest. We see that. We, we celebrate the Sabbath every day as we rest in Jesus Christ. We've rested from our works. Uh, we trust in Jesus. Praise the Lord. And we see it in all those other uh, pictures that point to Jesus that are fulfilled. So don't let anyone judge you. We saw that last week. And now we're going to see that we're not to let anyone defraud us. We're not to let anyone rip us off spiritually. To rip us off. And I talked about that. You know, when you get ripped off, you feel pretty bad. You realize you got burned. Now, some people are going to realize that when they face the Lord. They're going to realize they got ripped off. That they spent their whole lives thinking they were growing and falling and, and, and growing in a relationship with Christ when they weren't. When they were stagnant because they were being defrauded. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. So our passage, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. And he's going to talk about two ways they do it. By delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels and taking his stand in visions he has seen inflated without cause in his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with the growth which, growth which is from God. As I mentioned before, this command here, as we'll see, is connected to the therefore back in verse 15. Therefore, in light of everything God has done for you in Christ, because in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, uh, he is fully God and fully man, and he died for your sins and brought a complete salvation. You're complete in him because you're in Christ. 
Don't let this happen. And so here, the same therefore applies to this portion. Don't let it happen. Therefore, don't let this happen, or we're going to see, stop it from, from happening. So here, we see the second command that we are to obey. When God says a command, it's for us to obey. Now, if you are abiding in Jesus, his commandments are not burdensome. Oh, they're a burden when we're sinning. I tell you right now, you can't obey God in your sin, and it's a burden. But when you confess your sin, get right with the Lord, um, and just his commands aren't burdensome. You trust Jesus. He gives us the strength to do it. So here, here's the first first command in our passage today. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. The term keep defrauding you of your prize, that phrase, keep defrauding you of your prize, is actually one word in Greek. And it literally speaks of an umpire in the games or in some contest who negatively and wrongly decides against you and defrauds you of that prize in the race. He basically, he, he, he rules the wrong way and defrauds you of the prize in the race. Now certainly, Paul is using this metaphor of a race. We see the Christian life. It's a race. It's a race. It's a race, uh, to, to the, from start to finish. Uh, take for instance, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. You can turn if you want to. It's, it's, it's relayed as if it's an athletic contest and that, and that metaphor. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, not saying there's a bunch of people in heaven looking down saying, Go, Greg, go, Greg. What he's saying is they're the testifiers in chapter 11, uh, those who have by faith endured. That's the testifiers. They endured by faith. Abraham, all he goes through those those people. He says, Therefore, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, that's weights, and the sin that so easily entangles us, that's unbelief in the context of Hebrews, and let us what? Run uh, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's the Christian life. It's trusting Jesus. He lays it before us through his word. What we're to do, he puts it out there for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The Christian life is like a race. It's it's shared that way because you have to be di- disciplined. you got to think about it. You just walk along living your life. Christian life is a race, and there's a goal. There's a goal. And we know that because of Christ that we've been saved. But in that, we're being sanctified right now. We're being made more like Jesus, and we're on our way to glory. And within that, it's likened to a race, a race that we can get distracted, we can be weighed down, we can be pulled off of, or, as we'll see, disqualified or lose our prize. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The Apostle Paul talks about he doesn't want to be disqualified. He uses the idea of an athletic contest, of being disqualified. 1 Corinthians 9.24, do you not know that those who run the race, excuse me, I'll start again. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? Everybody runs. If you're in the race, the whole, the whole, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do that to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable, Therefore, I, this is his own personal illustration, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way not, as not beating the air. But I buffet my body, make it my slave, lest possibly after I preach to others, I might, I myself might be disqualified. So we can be disqualified through our own failures and sin. God's faithful. He forgives us, right? But Paul's talking about as someone who is preaching and leading in that context. But the reality is, 
we can be defrauded. We can be defrauded. You see, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, Christ is the cornerstone and we are built upon him. And how are we built up? Jesus gave the illustration in Matthew chapter 7 about being built, the house built on the rock. He says, he who hears my words and does them is like someone who built his house on the rock and the storms came and everything and it didn't fall down, right? He who hears my words and doesn't do them uh, is like one who built on the sand. Hey, they're still building. But the storms came and everything came and it knocked that house down and great was its fall. It has to do with our response to the word of God. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There are rewards and lack of rewards. What we do in this life as we trust Jesus is important. There's great reward in the context of faith. All these difficulties we're going through, is God not so unjust as to reward us? When we trust him, of course he's just. He's going to reward us. He was chapter 5 or 6, I think that was. 1 Corinthians 3. Verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, that's speaking of Paul, as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Now, how did he lay it? The word of God. He's an apostle. He says here, and another is building upon it. He says, but let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Hey, that's how we're saved. We're being built on him, right? Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it's to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon remains, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet is through fire. If you allow yourself to be built up in your Christian faith through things that are not of Christ and his word, you're going to suffer loss. If your Christian walk, as we will see, is based on being built up through emotion and experience, you're going to suffer loss. Rather than being built up through God's word, uh, being built upon the foundation, Jesus Christ, all in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10, I'll read this for you. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You go, oh, yikes. I thought my sins were obliterated. Yes, they were. Praise the Lord. Uh, no more dealing with sin. But what we do now is going to be judged for rewards or lack of rewards. It's eternal rewards. That means they last forever. And if you lose them, that means you lose them forever. So what you could be defrauded of is pretty serious. It's not simply your computer being taken over by a hacker in India. It's much worse than that. It's much worse than that. It's eternal. You can be defrauded. So don't let anyone disqualify you from the prize deprive you of spiritual reward, eliminate you from the race, sidetrack you from the good fight of faith. Don't let it happen, Paul says, and God says that to us. You see, if we live the Christian life by dependence and trust in Christ alone and his word working in our hearts, what will manifest will bring about an eternal reward. Right? We fail. We confess our sin. We fail. We, we the, you know, we know that. But if we trust in other things so subtly, other than Christ, such as experience, as we'll see today, 
religious experience. My view of Christ becomes corrupted and I unite myself with those who have a corrupted view of him and then I lose reward. Take a look at 2 John. This is exactly what's being said in 2 John. The apostle John and the apostles brought forth an accomplished building of believers through the word. They were building them up with the word of God. They accomplished that. But yet there were bad guys coming with a different picture of Christ, which was wrong. And they were saying, if you unite to that, you're going to lose your reward and what we accomplished. Second John verse 6. And this is love that we walk in his commandments. This is the command, just as you heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those are the rip-off artists, spiritual rip-off artists, by the way. He says here, to the world who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is deceiver and antichrist. Watch yourselves that you might not lose what we have accomplished. That's through the word being built up, by the way, but that you receive a full reward. Watch out. And he goes on to say, hey, you know, if you give a greeting even to these guys that have the wrong view of Christ, then you share in their sins. You can lose your reward. You can be ripped off eternally. Not many people saying, man, watch out for these eternal rip-off artists. Well, they're definitely out there, as we're going to see. And we're going to see from our passage how they do it. How they do it. So then, just like a judge who disqualifies someone who turns the wrong way in the race, when you follow these people, you are robbed of your eternal rewards and the temporal peace and joy that comes with it. Faith shipwrecked. And God does not want this to happen to us. He loves us. That's why he's warning us. So then what's the danger of being defrauded? Obviously, that we would lose our reward. See to it that no one defrauds you from the prize. Now, it actually here, it's like we saw earlier. This is in a singular sense, and it's speaking of a person. See to it, singular, this person. It's not a bunch of people. It's It comes in people who lead you spiritually wrongly, away from the word of God. See to it that they do not defraud you of the prize. It's individuals, not systems. Now, they bring systems, but it's individuals you've got to watch out for. And we're going to see in our passage what you need to watch out for. It's going to show us how they're going to do it. You know, as I mentioned, these frauds on the Internet, you know, you can see videos where they go, here's how they do it. They come here, they call you, they lie about this, and they do this. So they're going to show you how the bad guys do it, how they would defraud you. So then, in our passage, he says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. The implication was in this statement that maybe they had kind of fallen into it a little bit. Maybe they had bought into it. Stop letting them defraud you. That's kind of what this is saying. But for us, don't let it start. And if it has started, stop it, right? Get right with the Lord. The Lord is so gracious. He's so gracious. Turn to him and get right with him. Keep confessing sin. We're the confessors of sin. We fail, but we get convicted. We confess, right? So how do they do it? How how is What is the means of their deception? Well, we're going to see they do it through a deceitful, false, mystical, religious journey based on false teachers delighting in their faux uh, humility and their flesh-driven religious experience rather than growing in Jesus. Wow, I just described a bunch of churches, didn't I? Sadly, that's what happens. we got to watch out. We could get taken. We could. If anything like this ever happens here, you run out of here. You look at the word of God and you obey God and you get out of there. So we're going to see, never, now don't let anyone defraud you. Test everything you hear. Test the word of God by the word of God. 
So here, notice he says, back in our passage, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. And then notice he's going to say two things, by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels. We're going to talk about that. What's he talking about? Two things here. Two interrelated areas, by the way. Interrelated. And it's one person, in a sense, or a false teacher, by the way, doing this. A person, this context. And so the first one area is by delighting in self-abasement. You go, what's that? So self-abasement, is that the bottom floor of my house? The self-abasement? No, it's not. The reality, by delighting, it says here, by delighting in self-abasement, don't let them rob you. Now, there are those who will attempt to delude you with persuasive arguments, to take you captive. Now, this term, self-abasement, means lowliness, literally humility of mind. Two words, humility and mind put together. Humility of mind. It's sometimes translated humility. But here it's in a negative context because of the word delighting. Delighting in humility. Obviously in context, it's a spiritual humility, a self-lowering. These are actually spiritual perverts. In the context, it's a false humility. It's a hypocrisy, and they take delight in it. They take delight in appearing humble. So humble in Jesus. They're such, this, that pastor is so humble. He's such a wonderfully humble man. Or that person so humble. They, they delight in that false humility. Now certainly we need to be humble. Nothing wrong with humility in Christ. But this is a false humility that they internally delight in. They delight in what it brings them. People look up to them because they're so humble in the Lord. Whatever it might be. He says, first of all, they will defraud you of their prize in the context of delighting in self-humility, in, in, in humbling themselves. They take pride or perverse delight in their faux spiritual humility. That's one way you can spot them. Think about it. It's so evil. They portray themselves to be humble and godly, by the way, and godly. They portray that, but yet on the inside they get joy from that. It's the opposite. That's pride, by the way. That's totally pride. It's the very opposite. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. We see this with the Pharisees in a different way, but we see it with them. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus says, And when you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they notice this. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues, in the street corners, in order to be seen by men. Truly they have their reward in full. These bad guys love you seeing their humility. They love it. They delight in you seeing how humble they are. They delight in that. Very bad, right? Very bad. These phony spiritual hypocrites take people captive by putting on a show. By putting on a show. Now you say, how could we be robbed of this prize? We understand it's not going to happen. Well, obviously it could happen or we wouldn't be told don't let it happen. First of all, if God is telling us not to let it happen, then that means it could happen. And so we need to be on guard, right? We could be taken because we want to obey the Lord. We want to obey him. We see someone seems spiritual. We go, wow, I, I, that's why wow, I want to be like that. You know, We could be sucked into following the bad guys, and listening to what they have to say, spiritually speaking. Oh, we saw this back in Vancouver, didn't we? We saw it. That false, phony uh, humility that draws the naive to follow those people. Very sad. 
So spiritual people hear phony spiritual people put an unsaid temptation upon true believers to be like them because they appear so holy and they appear so humble. An unsaid pressure. Don't let it happen. Don't let that happen. Never let that happen in any context where you have this unsaid pressure to try and be like someone. We're to be like Christ. Yes, we're to follow those who follow Christ, but those who really follow Christ are recognizing their failures. They're trusting Christ. They're abiding in Him. It's all about Jesus. They're not delighting in phony humility. So then, stop or do not let anyone rob you of your prize, your eternal prize, through false spiritual humility. That's the gateway that you're going to get taken. That's the gateway. The gateway is their phony spiritualism, their phony humbleness that they delight in. Watch out. Watch out. And then the second iterative thing has to do with that. It has to do with actually worship. Worship, which is experience, by the way. It can be an experience. We'll see. He says here, and the worship of angels. And that's not math. The worship of angels. It's the worship of angels. Okay? He says here, when we know from Scripture that is absolutely forbidden. We know it's how Jesus, when he was being tempted by Satan, Satan to have him bow down and worship, he said, you worship God only. Right? We see in, in John, in Revelation, uh, the angel, you know, he began to bow down when he saw him. It was so amazing. He said, don't do that. Worship God. We worship God alone. But evidently, back in Paul's day, back in this day, there, there are bogus men who, who, who were bringing forth this mystical diversion, uh, and it was that you could get to a higher spiritual plane through these angels, in a sense. Worshiping them. So they were so spiritual. And how do you get there? Well, this is how we do it. Well, we're not going to fall prey to that right now. We're not worshiping angels. We're not like the evil cults, like, uh, like what's his name? We've got the gold plates with the angel Moroni, right? That's bogus, right? Or, or the, the JWs who worship Jesus, but it's, they really call Michael the archangel. That's baloney, right? But this is believers being tempted to be more spiritual through certain worship things. Now we know that is bogus worship. Worshiping, that's bogus worship, right? That's bogus. It's wrong. They delight in their false humility, which leads to bogus worship. It leads to bogus, false worship. A false experience of worshiping God. You're not worshiping God through worshiping angels. You're worshiping demons. Okay? It's false. It's false. So notice, they delight in self abasement and the worship of angels. It's, now, but notice, this is what's really key. They're further described. This helps us to not say, it's, okay, we, there's no angel worship here, no big deal. Look at this next statement. It's really important. He describes the delighter this way. Taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. That's what's going on. That's what's going on. These are people who delight in false humility, evil worship, based on visions they've stepped into, in a sense, that's the context, inflated without cause uh, by their fleshly minds. He's talking about inflated, fake spiritual experiences. Inflated, fake spiritual experiences. In the context of pointing people to worship, a false worship. That's the context. That's the context. So then, we have a problem these days with worship in the church. It's completely experience-driven. 
Have you noticed that lately? And it ultimately pulls us away from Christ because the experience becomes more important than Christ. I know people who will not go to biblical churches because they like the experience of the worship music. How terrible is that? How terrible is that? You see, when we delight in our experience, we are no longer holding fast to Jesus, being built up in his word and relying on him, and thus will be robbed by the prize. And people will lead you to delight in your experience. There are certain charismatic churches where people say, I've got a vision, I've heard this from God, and this and that. They all experience all inflated, their fleshly minds. People are following them, and they're getting robbed. They're getting robbed eternally because they're not depending on Christ through his word to grow them. Yes, they sprinkle a little word here and there, but it's not being proclaimed that they'd be presented complete. Paul is speaking about a flesh-driven religious experience puffed up in the mind. People say, I've had this experience. I've seen this stuff, whatever it is. They take their stand. It makes them seem super spiritual. They're on a higher plane. They've experienced, wow, what the Lord has done in this life. They appear much, but it's not, it's not, it's not me, it's him. That fake humility, right? But these Christians and those who are immature think they're missing out on stuff and they get caught up in this. They think they're missing out. But the reality is if they partake with these bad guys, they're going to miss out. They're going to get robbed spiritually. There are some genuinely uh, naive people who get caught up in things and they get taught in a way to think that their feelings are, are their experiences are visions and things. You hear people, they say, well, I felt like the Lord was telling me this, you know? And they, they, you know, it's one thing to think God's maybe prompting you. It's another thing to think God is speaking to me and telling me something. Now, I've been conditioned to these bad guys to start trusting my feelings, trusting what I feel rather than the word of God. It's so subtle. It's so dangerous. So then, uh, these, Many churches these days are steeped in an experienced-oriented way to follow Jesus. 80% experience, 10% Jesus talk, 10% stories. You know, you see that these days. Experience-oriented, whether it's charismatics who have a vision or a word inflated with their fleshly minds, some maybe being sincere, having had bad teaching, you know, feeling that that their thoughts are that way. Uh, worship these days in evangelical churches and some Baptist churches now is steeped in emotionalism. It may not be the worship of angels, but it's the worship of self and self's view of God. It's just as bad. Take, for instance, the Bethel-type, Hillsong-type music designed to pull you emotionally. People that write it, they say that's what they do. They're designed to do that. Look at them. The dark sanctuary. Dark. Wait a second. It's not going to be dark in heaven. The dark sanctuary and the, and the music designed to pull your emotions, the stages, the lights, the rock bands, the superior quality of music. Okay? But all designed to emotionally and experientially pull you away from Christ. To be dependent on that ministry, those people, where they're not feeding you. And as I mentioned, I know people who won't go to biblical churches because, frankly, it's kind of boring. The worship's kind of boring. Well, it's boring because they've been sucked into an experience-oriented way to follow Jesus. And they are being robbed. They're being robbed. You think you're worshiping the Lord? 
you're really filling your flesh. You think you're growing closer to your music? It's not going to happen. We grow through the Word of God and the God of the Word. God causes the growth. We'll see that in our passage later on. It's God that causes the growth, and He does it through His Word. You see, we know from 1 Thessalonians 2.13, it is the Word that does its work in us. We know from 1 Peter 2, chapter verse 2, we grow and respect the salvation through the pure milk of the Word. We know that it is all Scripture inspired by God that is profitable, uh, that, that makes us adequate for every good work. Therefore, preach the Word, Paul would tell Timothy. But you have bad guys in evangelical churches being overrun by these guys, and like I said, some Baptist churches happening around here, who seem so humble and so spiritual. But what they're doing is the opposite. They're allowing this to happen. Let me give you an illustration here. Uh, I used to think that the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School was, I didn't know about it. I thought, hey, it's maybe okay. It's okay. It seems pretty solid, you know. Well, there's a pastor, not a pastor, but a professor there, a bad guy who, who writes this. This is in Christianity Today, and I don't recommend reading it, okay? He writes, what is the value of religious experience for the church? Experience of God, of course, is vital for our spiritual growth and maturity. You get that? Experience is vital for our growth and maturity. Do you see the subtle thing? It's the experience rather than the word. How evil is that? Very subtle, by the way. Sounds very humble here, the way he talks. The realities of religious experience, especially Christian theastic experience, and rich are rich and provide fruitful potential for the broader justification of Christian beliefs and commitments. They are not the main thing, but they play an important role, especially in today's cultural climate, which places such high value on personal experience. We should take the claims of experience seriously. This isn't an evangelical seminary. This is, this is a bad guy. It's a bad guy. See to it that no one takes you captive. Takes you captive. How subtle. This man's statements are demonic. We grow by faith in Jesus Christ as his word works in us. It is the word being brought forth that we are made complete in him. And when that is subjected to experience or lowered down to experience, uh, you get taken captive and you get your rewards taken away. Really sad. Really sad. You see, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, you can have, you, yes, there, there, there are experiences when we trust the Lord and, and, and He does something and we, He uses His Word to change us. We experience that, but that's on the back side. That's not on the front side. We don't trust the experiences to grow in the Lord. That's not what it is. It's backwards. End of 19, it is God who grows us with the growth as we're connected to Christ. So then, these guys are bad. And guess what? They're not connected to Jesus. We'll see in verse 19 that they're disconnected from the head. They're disconnected. They're not obeying him. They're not submitting to him. Or they wouldn't be doing this, this show and this experience and all this stuff. They're not connected. Well, they sure are spiritual. They sure are humble. But they delight in it on the inside. God says, warning. See to it. Don't let anyone rob you, take away, defraud you of your prize. Don't do it. Don't go there. Beware of those who delight in false humility. Beware of those who delight in worship driven by religious experience. 
That's what was going on here. Inflated in their fleshy minds based on the flesh. On the flesh. Think about those in Scripture who had the most grand experiences. True experiences. Think about Peter. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he saw the Lord transfigured in his glory. Now that's a bigger experience than these guys say they have inflated into fake things, right? And Peter, he shares in Second Peter, turn there, that this isn't the most important thing. The most important thing is the word made more sure. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from the Father, such utterance was made by, to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. That's pretty fantastic. It's a pretty fantastic, true experience. But the next thing he says is, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rising heart. We got the word of God. And he'll go on to say no prophecy of scriptures of one own interpretation. Scripture's written word, but men moved by the spirit spoke from God. You see that. The Apostle Paul, and I'm not going to read this, but you can read in 2 Corinthians 12, he's got the bad guys who are talking about all their visions, saying, well, if I have to say it, I'll talk about this vision. He was caught up in the third heaven, but he says he even talks about it in third person so that you wouldn't give him any credit. But what's the focus? When he's all done, the focus is, I got a thorn. And Christ used that to teach me that his power is perfected in weakness. It's not about some vision. It's not about an experience. It's about relying on Jesus Christ. I shared this earlier. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Old Testament, guard yourself. Guard yourself. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God to draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Wow, that's a pretty straightforward statement. For they do not know they're doing evil. Wow. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a man in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of the fool many words. Hey, that's the bogus stuff. That's the bogus stuff. He'll go on later on and say, say basically, many dreams, verse 7, and many words, there's emptiness. Rather, fear God. Fear God. Paul has pulled the mask off of these spiritual shysters, those who take stand in the visions they've seen inflated without cause by their fleshly minds, blown up, inflated without cause. It's all the flesh, and it leads to worship. That's what they were doing, false humility. They worship in that context angels, all from false stuff in the flesh. Let no one keep from defrauding you of your prize. By delighting in self-abasement, the worshiper of angels taking his stand in visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not, verse 19, not holding fast to the head. That's speaking of Jesus Christ, the head of the church, from whom the entire body, speaking of the body of Christ, 
being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. These bad guys are not holding fast to Jesus. They're delighting in their experience, and they're, they're delighting in their experience and delighting in their false humility, and they're defrauding you if you buy into it. They're keeping you from growing. And how do you grow? Through the Word of God being proclaimed and received from a right heart, ready to receive it and grow. He says they're not holding fast to the head. You see, when you try to relate to God through religious experience, there's zero spiritual growth. Zero. We don't grow through experience. We have experience, but we don't grow through experience. We grow through the grace of our Lord Jesus. We grow in the grace and Lord of Jesus Christ, but through the Word of God acting and working in us. And not falling past the head. You see, back in chapter 1, verse 18, Paul said of Jesus, He is the head of the body of the church. Jesus is the head. The church, that's the called out ones, ecclesia. Those are those who have been delivered from life to death through faith in Jesus Christ. From death to life through faith in Jesus Christ. They've been delivered. It's believers who've been placed into the body of Christ by the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus. Galatians 3.27, 1 Corinthians 12. Jesus is the head and we are in this spiritual body. We are the members, the parts of the body. And it is from the head and holding fast to the head that the body grows. That the body grows. He says there grows with a growth which is from God. And these guys are not connected. So you are not going to grow with a growth from God by following their experience. And guess what? we got a lot of believers and some make-believers who are not growing, who are getting ripped off. They're allowing it to happen. God says no. God says no. We are to, as Paul said, he says, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man that we present every man complete in Christ. It's through the pure milk of the word that we grow in respect to salvation, First Peter 2, chapter verse 2. It is the word of God we grow in respect to salvation, First Thessalonians 2.13. It is through the scripture alone that we are made adequate equipped for every good work, Second Timothy 3.16. So if your church focuses on experience, you're in trouble. If it focuses on Christ and His Word, then you're going to be blessed. You're blessed. You say we experience growth. Well, don't we experience something? Yes, it happens through the Word as God works it in our hearts and changes us. We grow with a growth which is from God. Remember what I shared in Second John. Watch yourselves that you may not lose what we have accomplished, but that you receive a full reward. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. You get eternally gypped if you follow these guys and then do the emotional deal, the worship thing. Worship, worship. That's what it's about. Worship, worship. Don't let it happen. Rather, hold fast ahead. Let me share one more passage here. Um, turn to Jeremiah 23. And even back in these days, the Lord is going to talk about the bad guys with their false dreams and stuff. He's going to say, hold on to the word of God. On the word of God. Jeremiah 23, 25. I could read the whole chapter, but just let me read this portion. 
I have heard of what the prophets have said who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I have a dream, I have a dream. How long is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood? Or how long? Is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood, even those prophets of deception of their own heart, who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they relate to one another, just as the fathers forgot my name because of Baal? The prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. Get out of those dark music churches and get into a church that proclaims the word of God. Yes, we have music and we, we praise God, but it's not about the experience. It's about the Lord. It's about the Lord. So many believers delighting in their experience. It is very, very bad because you're being defrauded of your prize. You're disconnected from the growth that comes through abiding in Jesus Christ. Do you delight in religious experience or God? Is the delight music? Is that it? Is that it? Is that all it is? Or hopefully it's God being glorified in the music. Right? What are you holding fast to? Is it your experience of worship? Or is it intellectually exciting doctrine you hold fast to? What are you holding fast to? Or is it Christ? Is it Christ? So then how can we keep from being taken captive? From having our faith shipwrecked? We need to recognize that in Christ we have everything we need. God in human flesh who died for our sins and brought a complete salvation. In him we're complete. In him we have all the tre- in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It is him through his word that we have everything we need. Secondly, we mustn't allow anyone to defraud us of our prize through phony spirituality and peddling religious experience. Don't let it happen. Some of you might need to repent. Some of you listening might need to repent. You bought into it. You've been deceived, deluded, but the Lord has exposed it and you've been convicted. Confess and be forgiven and step forward. And as you abide and trust in Christ, you will receive reward in that context in eternity. God is not so unjust. He doesn't reward us for our faith when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ but you need to repent maybe. Some of you are disconnected from Christ, practically speaking, through your experiences. Cling to Christ and grow in Him. Grow in Him. Do not let anyone defraud you through religious experience. As you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him. You didn't receive an experience. You received Him by believing the gospel, the truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for your love for us to warn us, Lord, and we are vulnerable, we are weak, and if we don't listen to your warnings, we can be taken captive. I pray for anyone listening who has been taken captive that they might just confess and be set free, and that they might then hold tightly to Christ and grow with the growth that comes from you. Father, um, just help us to not uh, get diverted away from the simplicity of a devotion to Christ. 
simply trusting in him, Lord God. Thank you so much for your wonderful, wonderful salvation in your son. And thank you for these warnings to protect us as we grow in him. In Jesus' name.